we are carrying on our series this week, Birds, Bees and Massive Questions, looking at essential things in our culture that we need to engage with as Christians. And this week we are looking at what is singleness? So let's get into it. Unlike marriage, singleness is a state or a season of life that actually all of us will spend time in at some point. So it's really, really important that we get a proper biblical perspective on it. And like Dan was saying last week when it comes to marriage, there are so many different factors that influence the way that we think about these things. Um, Our personal experience, the worldview, the culture that surrounds us, and the Word of God. And like Dan, I think that the Word of God should be held above everything else as the standard that defines truth and defines our lives. So we're going to focus on what the Bible says about singleness today. So the question, what is singleness? The Bible treats it as being those who are not married and therefore not engaging in activities that are found in a marriage, like living with someone, having sex, typically not having children, although there are single people within the church who do have children. This can sound like a negative definition. It's, it's defined by what it's not. It's defined by what you can't have. And for many people, that's as far as they get when it comes to thinking about singleness. It's, it's thinking about it as the things that I don't get to do or have. But tonight, I hope we're going to look at three really amazing, really positive things that should define godly singleness. And hopefully, give us single people in the room a little bit of encouragement. Um, so these are the three things. Fruitfulness, faithfulness, and family. Um, and we're going to run through those in that order this evening. And we're basing this on 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 to 35. So if you have a Bible with you, um, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 7, or as you can see, it's up on the screen behind me. Um, so this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 about singleness. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So before we dig into this, um, let's pray. Um, Father God, I just thank you um, for the richness of your word. I thank you that it speaks to so many different parts of our lives um, and that it speaks so personally and so prominently to being single. I just pray that your spirit would be working through your word tonight to bring encouragement, to bring healing, to bring hope, um, and to bring a greater understanding of what it is that you intend when people are single. Amen. So we're going to start with fruitfulness. Being anxious about the things of the Lord, as Paul says. So Paul is writing to a church in Corinth 
advising believers there who have asked him questions about some of the most personal issues of the heart. And he is clear from the outset that both he and God want the ultimate good for the Christians in Corinth and for us today. He is quite clear here. It's quite blunt in the way that Paul can sometimes be blunt. Marriage brings kinds of anxiety that singleness just doesn't. Single people can spend their time thinking about different things than the things that married people often spend their time thinking about. Single people, he says, can be concerned with the things of the Lord, with thinking about the kingdom of heaven, whereas married people have certain responsibilities and duties as part of their marriages. We were hearing this morning from Luke about the self-sacrificial love that is required by marriage that draw their attention into the relationship between them and their spouse. Paul calls this divided interests. It's quite strong language that he's using to talk about marriage here. He, Paul, Paul knows that marriage is a wonderful thing and he recommends it, but he's realistic about the practical realities of what marriage entails and therefore what singleness entails. Verses 32 and 34 um, from 1 Corinthians 7 tell us that single people, we who are single, are to be anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, and how to be holy in body and spirit. And what are the things of the Lord, you might ask? Well, I think Micah 6 verse 8 gives us a pretty good definition. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. These are the things that should be concerning you if you are a single person. And again, this is not to say that these aren't things that concern married people. Absolutely not. They are. But this is directed at the single people in the church. This is the command that we are given by Paul. He also suggests that we have more flexibility in the way that we live these things out. Whilst married people have the honour and challenge of serving each other in a Christ-like way and demonstrating their Christ-likeness in that relationship, single people have have the equal challenge and honour of serving the world around them in a Christ-like way. And it's an equally Christ-like way as marriage. The two are equally good. But I have a little caveat for you. I am not here this evening to command all single people in the room to up sticks and book a round-the-world mission trip because you're all so flexible and clearly have the time and money and career and family flexibility to do that. I feel like lots of messages that are preached about the fruitfulness of single people seem to assume that single people have that ability. But I believe that God calls people to serve where they are. That might be that God wants you to go halfway around the world with the flexibility that you have, but it might be that he's planted you here in Polworth, and this is where he wants you to serve and grow as a single person, and I really want to encourage you in that. And I do believe that singleness has a key role, in fact, a unique role to play in helping the church to understand what godly fruitfulness means in these last days. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, we see that the key way of growing the family of God was through offspring, through having children, through having lots of children, through big bloodlines. And if you've ever done the Bible in one year reading plan, 
There will have been days when you are just reading through lists of names, genealogies, um, and lists of offspring. And even Matthew's gospel starts with a big chunk of names that often we're tempted to skip over to get to the good bit. But actually, these are really important. These show that in the old covenant, the key way that the people of God was grown was through family, ultimately a family that was leading to one offspring, to Jesus. And that's why in Matthew's gospel, the genealogy ends with Jesus. It's a sign that we don't live under that old covenant anymore, where the key way of fruitfulness, of showing the blessing of God on your life was family. Now we live under a new covenant, where the family of God, rather than being grown primarily by biology through getting married and having kids, is through people being adopted into God's family, through people being added in by faith alone in Jesus and his saving sacrifice on the cross. So this suggests that single people have a key way, a key kind of signpost role that they are supposed to play about the fact that Jesus is building a spiritual family, not a flesh and blood related family. Jesus brings spiritual offspring into being, despite remaining single and childless his whole earthly life. I want to suggest to you that single people can have really fruitful spiritual families that directly follow the model of Jesus. If you are single here today, I think that God wants to use you powerfully in the people that surround you. It might be in this church, it might be in other communities that you're in, to be a spiritual mother or father, to be a spiritual brother or sister, providing guidance and companionship and a real tangible sense of family to people who happen to not be blood related to you. And this is something that single people can often do in a way that married people perhaps can't because of the the great importance of the marriage relationship in their lives already. There might not be room for this way of kind of spiritual family in their lives. But single people perhaps have more room in that sense to do this. And I also think that we can be uniquely fruitful by displaying amazingly in our lives the truth that Christ is enough for us, that Jesus is all-sufficient. And I think the single person who is genuinely satisfied with their life in Jesus absolutely baffles the world. Every year on Christmas Eve, I get together with my old school friends in the village pub. We have a great catch-up. We probably haven't seen each other for, for the year gone past. And among the key topics of conversation that we cover, jobs and family and the general state of the world, love lives rank pretty highly on the list. You know, dating anyone, that kind of thing. And actually, when I tell my friends, no, no, I'm not actually, no, that's not happening for me right now, I can tell that they are completely baffled. They're like, but you don't seem particularly stressed about that. Like, no, I, I'm not actually. My singleness is intriguing to them as well as confusing. And it is actually an opportunity to show them a bit of why, why, am I, why, am I not, why am I not unsatisfied? Why am I satisfied? Well, I'm satisfied because Jesus is enough for me. My world revolves around him, not around the level of romance that happens to be going on in my life at the moment. 
And I think our singleness says to the world this very powerful thing that earthly family is not actually the source of our key fruitfulness on this life. Earthly family can be a wonderful, beautiful, God-given, amazing thing, but it can also be broken and difficult, and it can be a struggle. Our, Our comfort and our satisfaction and our safety cannot lie in having an earthly family. They have to lie in our in our status with Jesus. That has to be the source of our comfort and our satisfaction and our safety, whatever our marital status is. And I think when you are single and you are displaying to the world that actually you are satisfied in Jesus, that is a tremendously fruitful thing to be doing with your life. But this is not to say that I always find easy joy in the idea of being uniquely fruitful as a single person. It can be really hard. Paul advocates singleness to free us from anxiety. But when you are on the outside looking in at marriage, it can be really hard to see that, see that um, the reality of marriage. It can be very easy to romanticize everything. And as human beings, we love to compare ourselves to others. So often we focus completely on the benefits of other seasons of life that we're not in, that we don't actually stop to appreciate what it is that we've been given. And singleness is a gift from God. It is uniquely endowed with possibilities of fruitfulness that are are special and to be treasured. But sometimes we just don't see that because we're so busy looking at something else. And it's not wrong to want to be married. As Luke said this morning, marriage is an amazing gift of God. It might be a gift that God wants to give you one day. But I don't want you to spend your life constantly looking over the fence rather than rejoicing at the place where you are planted and the situation that God has brought you to. And as Jim Elliot so wisely said, let not our longing slay the appetite of our living. I love that quote, I'm going to say it again. Let not our longing slay the appetite of our living. God has given us living to do as single people. Our lives are not put on hold until we get married and then things really kick off. He has given us living to do right now. And my question is to you, are you doing it? Are you living the life that God has given you today rather than waiting for something to happen? And as single people, we have to ask ourselves these things because the world is constantly telling us a narrative that would put that restraint on us. We have to ask ourselves, am I making the most of my singleness? Am I making the most of my opportunities to pray, to serve? Am I anxious about the things of the Lord in my day-to-day life and my body and my soul? Am I focused on building a spiritual family? And we have to move away, I beg you, we have to move away from the idea that a fruitful Christian life means getting married at 24, having five children, buying a beautiful semi-detached house in the suburbs, and serving faithfully at church. Now, please don't misunderstand me. That can be and is a wonderful life to live that can be completely glorifying of God. And I know there are so many people in Kings who do live that life. That is the story that God has written for them, and they are doing it amazingly for his glory. But it's not the only story that God writes for people. And actually, when you contextualize that story with the current state, particularly of global Christianity, 
it can look like quite a Western story, quite a middle-class story, and really be quite exclusive about what we're saying to the world about what it is to be a Christian. We need to include and value people who aren't married in the church. We have to give them opportunities to serve and to lead because we serve a God of diversity. We are empowered by a spirit that gives diverse gifts and we have to make the most of them as the church. And I would say that rather than being defined or determined by marital status, a fruitful Christian life is defined by whether or not a person is rooted in Jesus. In John 15, verses 4 to 5, Jesus says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If we make marriage rather than abiding in Jesus the litmus test of what a faithful and fruitful Christian life is, by that standard we would fail Paul who wrote this letter that we're reading from and we would fail Jesus. So I think we really have to take this to heart as being something that we need to see a bit of a cultural shift in within the church. And we now come to our second characteristic of what a single Christian's life is supposed to look like faithfulness. This, I would argue, is the undivided devotion that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 35. He encourages us that remaining unmarried gives us the opportunity to focus our faithfulness on God rather than in the act of being faithful to a spouse. And in, understand, in order to understand this better, we're going to look at Jesus' words in Matthew 19. We're only going to read a few verses of this, but to give you a little bit of context, Jesus has just emphasized the importance and the sanctity of marriage in the face of a trap laid for him by the Pharisees, the elders, on this issue of divorce. Um, and the disciples get a little bit spooked, actually, by how highly Jesus regards marriage between one man and one woman and how, how much he says you've got to be faithful in that relationship. And they think, ooh, maybe it's better to stay single than have, and then I can avoid the kind of level of faithfulness required by marriage. They try and use singleness as a kind of get-out-of-jail-free card from the responsibilities um, that Jesus is saying are take place in a marriage. And here's what they say to Jesus. The disciples said to him, if such is the case with a man and his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now, historically, eunuchs were celibate, castrated male servants who served in ancient royal courts. And the idea that this is the metaphor that the Bible uses to describe me as a single person does not immediately make me jump up and down for joy. Yeah. <laughs> but, hear me out. <laughs> eunuchs typically... Had a, had a very specific role within the royal court. They were faithful companions and trusted confidants of the king or queen. They had a special, particular relationship with the monarchy, and they lived in royal palaces. 
Jesus is saying that while for some people, biology or the choices of others are the cause of their singleness, some people make a decision to be single for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is saying here that singleness requires just as much servant-heartedness, just as much self-sacrifice, just as much faithfulness as marriage does. It's just in a slightly different context. And I think for me, this passage raises the question, is singleness a calling or a choice? Which is a tricky question, and I'm going to give you the cop-out answer of both. I think that God only calls to singleness those who he will ultimately enable to choose singleness. Listen to what Jesus says. Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. It is something that is given to people who receive it. And let the one who is able to receive this receive it. God doesn't call the equipped. You see that time and time again throughout the Bible. He is constantly calling people to purposes that they cannot do on their own. But he does equip the called. This all depends on him and his actions and his gifts and his goodness, not on us, which is such a relief to me because it gives me strength on days when I think, this gift of singleness doesn't feel much like a gift. Can you give me something else, God? <laughs> it gives me hope that I can actually be faithful to this calling on my life because God will help me to be faithful. And time is short, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. We have to make the most of the days that we have left. And singleness is a demonstration of our faithfulness faithfulness to God's greatest purpose, which is to bring about the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's what Jesus says. We are to choose this if we choose it for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. But as much as we have spoken about the fruitfulness, the servingness that is available to single people, I don't want us to fall into the trap that because single people might have a bit more time and a bit more flexibility, their faithfulness has to be measured by constant doing. The word Paul used uses for devoted in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 35, has its roots in the Greek meaning sitting well towards, which is not an easy phrase to immediately understand, sitting well towards, which kind of means being close to someone, locating yourself near to someone as you attend to them. And when I was thinking about this word and what it meant, it reminded me of the conversation that Jesus had with Mary and Martha in Luke 10. And I'm just going to read, read, read their encounter to you now. Um, so now as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. On the surface, it seems like Martha's approach is the more devoted one, being busy, serving, preparing things for Jesus, all good things. But Jesus draws our attention to Mary's devotion as the one that we are to emulate. As married people, as single people, but in this context, I'm, I'm thinking about the devotion of single people, sitting at the feet of our Lord, listening to his teaching. 
the heart and the source of our devotion to Jesus has to be being with him, not just doing things for him. And I know this can be a challenge. Um, I know in the past I have certainly used my busyness, particularly in a church context, as a kind of crutch or distraction in order to fill my time that might have been used in a relationship or in a marriage. I have said the line, I don't even have time for a boyfriend anyway, more times than I would care to admit. But as Augustine said, we are restless until our hearts find their rest in him. We have to remember that our primary calling is to abide in Jesus. That is what will help us be faithful through this singleness, not just doing things for Jesus, which which is an amazing thing to do, but being with Jesus, abiding with him. And then our faithfulness can be the source of our fruitfulness. Our fruitfulness can flow from that place of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And there is also another aspect of faithfulness, I think, when it comes to this area. I think we are called as single Christians to faithfulness through the emotional challenges that can often accompany being unmarried. So my singleness might be for a few more years. It might be for a decade. It might be for the rest of my earthly life. But I refuse to treat that as a tragedy. Remaining unmarried is now not such a shocking thing as it was, say, in Jane Austen's day or in the Victorian period or even the 20th century where women particularly would be branded as crazy old aunts or spinsters. But remaining single is still seen as strange in our society. Getting married or being in a long-term relationship is still seen as the goal. But God has never been defined or changed by the shifting tides of our cultures. God, as this is a great quote, I love its bluntness. Callie Civilis says this, God does not have to bring us someone to marry. He is simply not obligated to do anything for us that is not for his glory or for our joy in him. It's not going, if, it's not, if marriage is not be the best thing for us, then God is not going to give it to us. He knows us best. He knows us best of all, and he knows what is good for us. But aligning our emotions with our appreciation of God's sovereign goodness is not always easy. And in order to remain faithful to God through what can be an emotional minefield, we have to have our minds transformed by God's spirit from the model of the world to the model of God's word. It is only with God's help that we can receive this. It is only with God's help that we can lay down the idols of marriage that we sometimes make for ourselves, of romance, of sex, all good things that the world and sometimes the church have turned into the be-all and end-all of human existence. We have to be alert about fighting off these worldly standards and restraints on our lives. Proverbs 43 says, above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We have to watch our hearts as people who are single. We have to examine them and protect them And this observation requires emotional honesty. Being in a state of singleness can bring about feelings of frustration, disappointment, sadness, confusion, and it can be really damaging to self-esteem. It can make you feel like you're not worth it. 
can make you feel like you're missing out on something. And these feelings in themselves are not sin. (laughs) Have you read the Psalms? David and the other writers cry out to God saying, have you forgotten me? Have you forsaken me, God? They experience deep emotion. But anger and disappointment and sadness should all be brought before God as they are in the Psalms. If they are allowed to develop into jealousy or bitterness or hard-heartedness, if they take root within our hearts, then we have a problem because that affects our priorities and the way that we interpret what God is doing in our lives. After all, the proverb says, everything flows from our hearts. We have to bring these emotions to Jesus' clarifying light, not let them fester in the dark. And church has to be an environment that helps us to do this, where we can be honest about the emotion that we're going through, not just putting on a a happy face for Sunday. Emotions shouldn't determine our response to the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but they have to play a role in our processing of those circumstances if we're going to be truthful, spiritually healthy believers in a truthful, spiritually healthy church. And I really firmly believe that being honest with God about how you're feeling is an act of faithfulness. It demonstrates that you trust God, that you believe that he is your refuge, that he is your rock when you're feeling worn down or battered. It is an act of sitting close to God, of emotional devotion. And it helps us to ask these questions. Are we trusting in God's faithfulness? Are we trusting that his word is true? and that singleness can be and is a good thing? Are we trusting that he will equip us with the faithfulness that we need in order to be godly single people? And this brings us on to our final aspect of singleness that I'm going to talk about tonight, which is family. Paul recommends singleness to promote good order in 1 Corinthians 7.35. We have to work this out in the context of our family, our church family, And church should be a place where singleness is both completely normal and genuinely celebrated, not a place where it's awkward or ignored or looked down upon as second best. And I think there are several ways that we can do this. So if you have tuned out up until this point because you're very happily married, I now invite you to wake up. (laughs) We need your help on this in creating an environment where single people can flourish. I think the first thing that we need to do is to be careful with our language. The words you speak have a profound impact on other people. Proverbs 18:21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. When I was a student, I had a person within a Christian context, not this church, <laughs> declare to me that if I wasn't married by the age of 22, I was officially on the shelf. And they were only kind of joking. <laughs> I'm now over 22, officially on the shelf. (laughs) But these words still have the potential to sting me years later. Even though they were kind of said in jest, it hurt. And when you jovially ask a person in church why they are still single, you have no idea what might be going on underneath the surface. They might be deeply longing to get married. They might be single as they heal from an abusive relationship. Their spouse might have died. You have no idea what's going on. So please, I beg you, be careful. Be careful with what you say. 
I feel that questions like this often represent a kind of false care for people. Interactions that are more focused on getting information out of people for your own satisfaction rather than out of genuine concern for people. And I think single people often bear the brunt of these questions within the church. And I think in order to combat this, we need to first cultivate a good understanding of singleness of how good singleness can be, which is one of the reasons why I was so excited about this topic and this series. I hope that I have given you some reasons why being single can be a good thing, why it can be a fruitful thing, why it can increase our faithfulness to God. I believe that singleness is a good gift of grace from God. And John Piper says that God gives grace in order to glorify himself. The church has a hugely important role to play in elevating singleness to its true, godly, graceful place. We therefore have to cultivate real care for single people within the church, as well as having a high kind of theological regard for singleness in our brains. We have to live out this regard in real life. And I have had a whole spate of my peers get engaged or married in the last year. Mine and Dara's fridge door is currently full of wedding invitations for the summer ahead. And I'm really starting to feel the shift in what our church community looks like. But there are things that give me such hope, such small things that give me big hope. There are couples who have just invited me around for a cup of tea when I've been on my own. There are families at church who have invited me to really normal, messy, loud, kind of gross family dinners with their kids. There are older married couples in church who have constantly spoken words of encouragement and wisdom over me. And there have been younger married couples in my small group who have been really honest about the challenges of marriage. And, and that's, really been a, that's really been a help to me. They are such small actions in and of themselves, but together they have the potential to be of such consequence for the experience that single people have within the church family. And in Acts 2, where Luke is describing the early church, he says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. It doesn't say the married people and the families were together in one corner of the church building and the single people were over here and the students were over here all doing their own thing. It is all who believed that were together. So if you're married, please don't just hang out with other couples. Have some single friends too. And if you're a family, don't think that single people will be put off by the busyness and messiness of your life. We won't. Single people need this kind of togetherness in the church if we're going to stand against the isolation and the discouragement that the devil tries to throw at us in order to stop us from walking with God. And single people are helpful to the church as well. As as Paul says, they promote good order within the church. They can ensure that everyone is welcomed and grafted into their family when they are playing their their role of fruitfulness, fruitfulness and faithfulness to their best ability. And this does require vulnerability within the church. It requires proactiveness. But when we get this family aspect of godly singleness right, we can create an environment where the fruitfulness and the faithfulness can flourish too. So... I think that godly singleness is a good thing, and it can be characterized by these three things. Fruitfulness, making the most of the unique blessings and opportunities offered to us by being unmarried in these last days as we wait for Jesus to come back. 
faithfulness, remaining faithful to God, even through the emotional difficulty that can accompany singleness, learning what it is to be truly devoted, undividedly devoted to Jesus and trusting in his faithfulness towards us. And family, there is no need, there should be no need for single Christians to feel lonely. We should be together in a community, in a real family, worshipping and eating and praising God. A family that points us towards our eternal future, where actually one day human marriage doesn't exist, where it's all about the marriage of the church and Jesus. And when I was preparing for this talk, I sat down and had a little very honest think with myself about how does my singleness actually feel I tried to visualize it and this is the image that came into my brain there are times it feels that I am standing on my own on a harbour wall looking out to sea and watching all of my newly married friends (laughs) go sailing off together into the sunset on amazing adventures with another special person and singleness can feel static and lonely But there is this great quote from Elizabeth Elliot that we're going to close on tonight. He says, It is God to whom and with whom we travel. And while he is the end of our journey, he is also at every stopping place. Jesus is at all the stopping places of your life, including this one. And there is no better friend, no better companion to journey with than Jesus. So the band are going to come up and we're going to sing a final song together. Um, But as we do this, I really want to encourage you to draw close to God. It might be good if this is something that has brought things up for you to find a few trusted friends around you, to find some people around you to pray with, to pray that you will know this fruitfulness and this faithfulness and this family in your life. And actually, if you're married here... Pray, too, that you would be a great part of building this church family, a family where everyone can feel grafted in, can feel part of what Jesus is doing here.